This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Let your children know they hold magic inside, the magic of love. We must teach our children to love themselves, not in terms of high self-esteem, but in genuinely valuing their bodies, thoughts, and emotions. We also must teach children to love others, for love can cast out fear. Teach your children to look into the eyes of others and see their humanity, to honestly look deeply into another's eyes is to see the light of God within them. When we can connect heart to heart, and the idea of separation and fear seems far-fetched. Valeria interviews Angela Lee. She is best known as the author of her children's fantasy book series, The Bella Santini Chronicles, which gives children and their parents tools and techniques for emotional balance. For over 50 years, Angela experienced abuse, bullying, and belittlement, And through that exposure, she developed methods of emotional management. Angela has been featured in USA Today and the Los Angeles Tribune newspaper and magazine, along with countless other media exposures. Angela is an international best-selling author with eight published books. Angela has shared the stage with Les Brown, Dr. John DeMartini, Bernardo Moya, Michael Beckwith, Joe Vitale, Allison Larson, Mo Rock, David Fagan, and many others. Angela has done everything, from speaking to C-suite level entrepreneurs about emotional intelligence, to creating engaging children's videos. When Angela isn't writing children's stories, she can be found hiking in the beautiful wilderness of Taos, New Mexico. Meet Angela at AngelaLee.com. Here's the interview with Angela Lee. In your own words, who is Angela Lee? Oh my gosh, Angela Lee. She is a woman and a child at the same time. And um, like everyone else, struggling really to um, come to terms with this new post-COVID reality and how to truly make my way in this world and be love in every interaction. Yes, that's a a beautiful message from the get-go, being (laughs) love. We have so many ideas of what love is, but I have actually found to be a very consistent one. I often ask the question, what love is to you? And I hear pretty much the same answers over and over and over again in different ways, of course. Mm -hmm. So I'll ask you, Angela, 
how to describe what love is? You know, it, it's so interesting because what I am truly trying to embody is unconditional love. And in in itself, unconditional, no conditions, meaning I don't have any expectation of how anyone's going to behave, no judgment about how anyone's going to behave, and just accept them for who they are. And that is a, um, it's a hard thing for a lot of people, including me sometimes, <laughs> um, because we all get triggered by behavior of other people. And what we often don't realize is that it is our reaction is re revealing to us information. And that information is often really rooted in childhood, childhood injuries, childhood wounding. And so when we react to something somebody does today, our reaction may come from when we were five years old. <laughs> yeah, so with understanding your own emotions and understanding your emotional triggers can help you achieve a point of not being reactive. That's another insightful message and idea. And I would say practice, isn't it, Angela? Unconditional love, would you say that this is a practice or, or has to become a practice because we have not learned to unconditionally love as children? I would say yes. You know, many children are brought up with conditions. You're going to become a lawyer. You're going to, I'm a lawyer. My my father was a lawyer and you're going to be a lawyer. And that is a box and a restriction placed on the child from by the parent. And the child doesn't feel accepted for who they are in the, that kind of situation. Yeah, it sounds very sad, doesn't it? That this is, uh, because it sounds very basic to me, unconditional love, in the sense of of being almost the key component for happiness, uh, mental health, and everything else that's good, that can help uh, human life to flourish. And then we often don't see that happening. It has been my case too, of course. And I say that with sadness too, of course. That Yeah. Um, right. Well, we are all on a journey of discovery. Mm. <laughs> you know, we, we cannot look back on our past and even judge ourselves for what we did not know at that time. And so it, it's really a step forward of, um, okay, you know, I recognize maybe I was reactive yesterday. Maybe I can do better today. So it's the uh, the awareness of that. That's where pretty much all the work is uh, embedded, <laughs> being <laughs> self-aware all the time. It's not easy, though. I know it's a practice. Yeah. It takes commitment, doesn't it, Angela? It really does. And, you know, it's... Um, some of the hardest things I've done is to 
feel my most painful feelings and just allow them because we run away from them. We don't want to feel that way. And so many people will choose different avenues of escape. And those avenues of escape become a prison of their own making. And I can best describe this by talking about my father. And, you know, he, my eyes were really opened to the dynamics of my father's relationship with the world by my aunt, who told me when I was an adult that he was a very sensitive child. My father was born in 1925, and It wasn't okay to be a sensitive little boy in that era. So he lived with the disapproval of his father and mother and grew up feeling unworthy and unloved. And so by the time he became a young man, he started drinking because he didn't want to feel that pain. And the problem was that his behavior while drinking just brought about feelings of unworth. <laughs> and so it, it, um, it amplified his exposure to those feelings when he thought he was numbing the exposure. And in the long run, you know, he... Um, his family didn't see him as a successful father, you know. So given his behavior, um, he did not have the approval of his his children or or wife. And so it just was a lifelong um, futile try to escape the feelings and The issue is when we can become self-aware and we know that our feelings are information, then we can face our feelings. And that is freedom. That's another question. I actually have another platform, video interviews that I title The Freedom to Feel. Oh, beautiful. Because that just, after talking to so many people, I just, uh, that just came to me clearly as the message. It really is. And it, I'm, I'm so thrilled that you have that platform. Um, one of the things that I teach is a, a little exercise for, for facing even the most painful feeling. And I can explain it scientifically afterward, but the exercise is you, it's an exercise in disconnecting your mind from the story of your circumstance. And you do that through focused attention on your feeling. So you start going inside. Where am I feeling this? Is it in my head, in my throat, in my chest, in, in my solar plexus? Where? Where is that feeling and what does it feel like? And then you name the feeling. You acknowledge it by naming it. And then the last step is to allow. You give yourself permission to feel what you're feeling. And in doing that with focused attention, your mind isn't dwelling on the circumstance. And 
when you're, I just, I just wrote a, uh, article for Gravid Parenting Magazine that I haven't sent in yet, but it's about the interconnection of the story of your circumstance and your feelings. And when they are overlapped and your story is informing your feelings, that prolongs your exposure to the sensation, that feeling. Would you call that emotions, Angela? Yeah, I would. And I would say that um, your emotions are magnetic and the story or the thoughts are electric. And so when you when you layer those two together, it's an electromagnetic mm, charge, yeah. which is very strong. Right, right. And, and that's why it's so important to disconnect from the story and pay attention to the feelings. The science behind that is that the biochemistry of a feeling is about 90 seconds. Mm. And we think about grief or some of the more painful feelings that seem to go on for years. Mm. When we allow ourselves to experience that feeling without resistance, it will flow. And a minute or two later, you'll notice that the feeling is gone. Mm. We, we have that mountain of feeling from every time we resisted it, it stuck to us. And so it builds up into a mountain. When we actually allow it to flow, it just goes. I love that. And it resonates so true to me. So feelings in the way, from what I understand, if I understand correctly, it's um, a physical kind of phenomena. It's happening in the body. Right, Angela? And the yes. emotions are psychological. They're just um, the interpretation of feelings. I don't know that I would make that distinction. Um, I believe that feelings are like in the moment, but when we prolong it, it's an emotion. And when we prolong it, it's because we added the story. So it's kind of what you're saying. <laughs> In a different way. Yeah. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Right. I have noticed that too. So my question would be, but from my experience, some feelings, they last longer. I know it seems like uh, you just mentioned that has been scientific research have been done and proven that's much. It's fast, actually. It goes quick. But I have experienced feelings that lasted long, much longer. And that's in the case of, of people who are grieving, too. Yeah, and so have I. And a lot of that is really around whatever story we have about what happened. So the reason why it's prolonged is because there is a story. We are creating stories atta yeah. and attaching to those feelings. Yeah, and some of the stories we may have created at the age of four. And that, like with my father, that story of I'm not enough because his dad didn't approve of, of his sensitivity, that story informed his whole life. And when we look at one of the ways to disengage from that story 
is to look at the circumstances. My grandfather's disapproval of my father said a lot about who my grandfather was and nothing about who my father was. And if my dad was able to see it from that perspective, he wouldn't have been driven by that feeling of not enough. Do we ever heal that hurt child? And do we ever, let's say, end that story that was created at that time? It is possible. Um, Sometimes, you know, I talked about that mountain of feelings. (laughs) And so sometimes you have to do, do exercises more than once in order to achieve the goal of letting that aspect go. Um, that one of the favorite exercises that I talk about is to, um, when something is triggering you emotionally, you think about when was the first time you felt that way? So for me, um, my ex-husband used to yell at me a lot and that would bring me right back to when I was three or four years old and my father was screaming at me. So once I figured that out, then I picture just in front of me, my father in his drunken state screaming at three-year-old me. And what I can realize in this situation is that I am a mirror, little three-year-old me was a mirror for my father. Everything he was saying to me, he was really meaning about himself. And with that understanding, I can say that, you know, even without that understanding, I can look at this situation, I can say, oh my gosh, here's a drunken 40-something-year-old male screaming at a little girl. Everything he's saying is a picture of who he is in that moment, and it doesn't say anything about the little girl. And when you can do that, you can go into that scene now as the adult you. You can pick up that little girl you, and you can tell her the truth of the situation. And that's a very powerful way to undo and let go of something an adult in authority said to you when you were little. Because when you're little, you think those people know everything. And so they must be telling the truth. But when you're an adult, you can see the real truth about the situation. So that little girl in me and you, it's still alive. It's still here. Oh, very and much. And listening. So. Yeah. <laughs> and listening. <laughs> and a lot of your reactivity to what goes on around you is that little girl or little boy in you that is feeling unheard, unseen, unfair, uh, name it all, you know. Uh, I love the work you do because you... um directing the message to those who need to listen to this the most. Parents, I'm not a parent, but I do feel like one sometimes around my husband 
and fam <laughs> other family members. <laughs> I do feel like yeah. a parent. But I love that you're doing this work because that's what we need to create awareness around the topic of being a conscious parent, really a conscious human being. That's what it is, getting to know ourselves better. And Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Asking more questions to ourselves when these situations arise, these feelings, these emotions, and they, they seem to be getting out of control. And a lot of us, unfortunately, kind of try to escape them. That's what we talked earlier about trying to escape those uh, heavy feelings. Yeah. Perhaps that's why I do what I do too, because I have been I've been through this and I know what it's like. It's really like now I have a, a hard time talking sometimes with people who don't yet understand these things because they're still overtaken by their own strong, heavy victim kind of feelings or emotions. Yeah, there's a lot to be said in that. Ah, yeah, the victim mentality, right. Yeah. I remember I was leading, I was living in England and I was leading a guided meditation and I talked about vic what is called the victim triangle and that is victim, persecutor and a rescuer. And a lot of people really take umbrage at the fact that the rescuer is put into that triangle. But when you look at it from the perspective of um, arrest, you going into rescue means that the person who is the victim can't save themselves. You think you need to save them. So you are adding victim energy to the victim with that decision. That's a tough one for most of us to understand. It's it's really a tough one. And I um, in the end of book two of my um, fairy tale books, I talk about that. One of the things I realized in my um, life is that when you intervene on behalf, let's say it's on behalf of a child, um, in the moment, if the father, in my case, if it's father that's doing abuse, the father may stop in that moment just to make the person who's intervening shut up, you know, be quiet. <laughs> But as soon as he gets you home, he's going to double down on his abuse because now not only did he have whatever the issue he came up with in the first place, but now he's got this person who tried to intervene that angered him on top of that. And so um, unless we're intervening specifically to, you know, take that child out of that situation, your intervention could backfire and the child could be... Um, doubly abused as a result of your intervention. Although it feels to me as a, the past for me, but I, from listening to you, I see that this is still happening and very much. It's angry. very much happening. And, you know, one of the things that I want children to know is that they are magic and the magic they carry is love. When people 
see a situation where someone is being abused, I believe that the true intervention is to send love to the victim and the persecutor in the hopes that they both choose love in that situation. You have written many books. Uh, today we'll be talking about the Bella Santini Chronicles series, mm-hmm. which now you have two books on Amazon and one that you're, you're writing at this moment. So they are titled Bella Santini in the Land of Everlasting Change and Bella Santini and the Troll War. What was the main inspiration to write these uh, books and why children's book? You know, it, it's kind of funny. I I knew even 10 years ago that I was meant to write a book and I just like had no idea what I was going to write about. <laughs> and then one day, my friend's daughter, who was nine years old at the time, uh, I thought, you know what, I'm going to just write a little story to entertain her. And I her name is Isabella. So I named the character Bella. And I started writing this story, but it just grew and it grew and it grew. And when I got to the end of the second book, I realized that some of the situations that the characters were dealing with were um, kind of allegories to what happened in my life. In the second book, there are these wraiths that um, they're an allegory for energy vampires, <laughs> the, the kind of people who suck you dry from you know, any interaction you have. And um, so, yeah, it, a lot of it, um, you know, it has a spiritual base because mostly I believe that um, – I channel most of the stories. And I say that because I'll sit down and put my fingers on the keyboard and it just flows. And I don't plan what I'm going to write. It just flows through me. What is your idea of spirituality and what's the goal of becoming a spiritual practitioner or a spiritual being, which we already are anyway, but recognizing yeah, that. Are. Right. Yeah. Um, to me, the practice of spirituality is about accepting that you are a soul. And it's, and it's not a separation between you and your soul. Your soul is not something outside of you. You are your soul. And understanding that every soul is connected and every soul is connected to God. And so you have this direct connection to God if you allow yourself to see yourself in your wholeness as a soul. Yeah, you see, that's really a very direct message and recognition, realization that would change everything. It would, Right? For all of (laughs) us. (laughs) If children can understand that and and really make it a lifestyle, 
as a practice, of course. I know a lot of times we we think that there is a destination for for the realization. I think it is a destination in a way, isn't it, Angela? Knowing, realizing that. Coming to the full, yeah, the full understanding of who you are is a destination. But really, it's the journey that matters. The embodiment of that truth, it's a different story in a sense of living the human experience on a day-to-day basis. So that takes practice to (laughs) align, right, Angela, the body, the conditioned body-mind to this unconditioned energy state of being that's already always here and never left us. Yeah. And that's the hard part for everyone, including me, to, you know, just just accept that it is and let go of all those limitations and judgments and all those things layered on you by your parents, your teachers, your religious leaders who learned all of that stuff from their parents, teachers, and religious leaders. They came upon it naturally. (laughs) Yes. Um, And, you know, we're in Mm -hmm. this age of awakening for everyone. And so it's really about understanding that these people shared their worldview with us but we don't have to accept it and that they did it with love. They thought they were helping us. So we don't have to blame them for giving us a limitation. And that's part of that whole unconditional love thing. (laughs) Right. Not blaming and not complaining even about that, which puts us in a more creative kind of state of of being, a state of mind per se, because the mind's very creative. It can be, as we know. Yeah. In that victim. It's amazing to just notice over and over again when I talk to people, amazing people like yourself, that it is a practice to have that alignment, body, mind alignment to the spirit, to yeah. the soul, as you call it. And and you know, I I I maybe have a depth of understanding that other people haven't yet achieved, but it doesn't matter because they're exactly where they need to be right now. And I'm exactly where I need to be right now, and you're exactly where you need to be right now. And this idea that we have to reach this destination. Rather than celebrate where we are right now is a source of emotional pain for some people. I have heard about different kinds of um, engaging with reality in a sense of empathy, compassion. But it's we must go beyond all that, right, Angela? What you said sounds to me very good. Yeah, I like to say, give yourself grace. Mm, yeah. And if we just let that, even that idea just sink into us, it's a beautiful thought because when we can, you know, and I'm, I'm even glad I'm talking about this for myself because, you know, I, sometimes I deal with emotional pain too. And, um, 
it's really just saying, okay, you know, it's okay for you to feel what you're feeling and it's okay for you to maybe feel that you haven't reached where you want to be, but just know that you're right where you're supposed to be. Yeah, it sounds like a very also mature, it's almost like uh, the parent in us speaking. (laughs) Mm. Well, that's one of the beautiful things is that as adults, we can reparent our inner child and we can we can resolve much of the emotional pain that we experience through that reparenting. Right. That takes trust, doesn't it, Angela? has been my experience. Trust over and over again. The practice of trust. That. The child <laughs> trusting, right? The, the adult in me. Yeah, I could do a whole podcast episode on the idea of trust and surrender. <laughs> ah, yeah. What a beautiful topic, too. If we can just do that. All parts of ourselves trust that the higher self, as it has been said, God, the divine. Um, yeah, that's has been my practice. Yeah, we have access to that divine knowledge when we trust mm. that we are our soul. And it can be as easy as that. And it's, oh gosh, so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds very simple because it's right here. It is who we are. It's the foundation of all this. Perhaps not even the foundation is where all this is happening. It's in that space of of unconditional love. That's why all this is happening, the, which we call life, right? The good and the bad and all the opposites. There's this duality because it's, it is unconditional. It doesn't mind uh, that all this happens, which is incredible to think that when we think about it. <laughs> <laughs> when, we, um, when we think about it from our soul's experience, an experience is an experience. It's not judged. <laughs> mm, yes. Right. Right. That's he, it. He as human add that judgment. <laughs> yes. Right. So is that what we call ego? Because I have heard so much the false self that judges. What part of us judges? Yeah. And, you know, it, ego is something that gets a very bad rap. <laughs> and it's, you know... Ego is the part of us that tries to keep things the way they are because it believes that we are safe in those circumstances. So ego tries to keep us from expansion. But rather than try and resist your ego, (laughs) if you just wrap your ego in love and say, hey, I I love that you want to keep me safe, but I want to go over here. I want to expand, and I'm bringing you with me. What happens to the ego? Do you have an idea? I would love to hear from you a description of that. When it trusts the divine self, how does it merge? How do we integrate that? What is its purpose, the ego's purpose, per se? Well, and really, I think the... um, the total answer to to that question is about accepting all parts of yourself. And that is true self-love. When you when you can say, you know, there's this piece of me. For me it was anger because my father was anger and I did not accept that I could be angry. I wasn't going to be that person. 
And so for me, the angry part of me was the shadow side that I'd never acknowledged, never wanted to see, and I judged in everyone else. <laughs> and so it's more than ego. It, it's like accepting every human experience and every human emotion and just saying, you know what, all of this makes who I am. It's wonderful news that we have that in us, within us, as a powerful tool to see mm. every all parts, accept them as they are, uh, shed some light in the sense of compassion and empathy, and stay with it. Yeah. When you I like I like what you said because when you shine light on the shadow side of you. When you shine the light of your love on the shadow side of you, there is no shadow. It's only light. There was a question that I wanted to ask about emotional balance. Yeah, another, I look into that in the sense of for children, what does it look like to be emotionally intelligent or to have that emotional balance? It's really about being self-aware, understanding the root of where those emotions are, why they are there, and knowing that with the tools available, you can deal with everything. <laughs> and so that's what emotional balance is. You, you're not pushed off balance by your emotion because you have the tools for for dealing with it. And I don't like the idea of managing emotions. I believe you allow emotions and manage your thoughts and feelings and your, your mm. thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Manage the thoughts instead. That's a, that's another beautiful message. Yeah. That resonates true. What is the age to become self-aware, emotionally intelligent, and balanced. Is there an, an age to start <laughs> with this work? <laughs> well, I started at 50. So yeah. I, yeah. Um, I would say that young children are already in touch with their soul. And young children have access to that divine. But it's when... They are layered with the thought, with the thoughts and um, perspectives and expectations that begins the veil that disconnects them from themselves. And so, you know, I my books are written for ages eight to twelve, but I've had many an adult read them and say. Boy, I wish I knew this one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what I said. <laughs> yes. um, but I, I truly believe that a parent can read my books to a younger child. And even though, you know, they won't truly grasp some of the concepts, it's planting a seed. And that seed can grow over time. And so... Um, yeah, I'm toying with the idea of doing picture books too. So. <laughs> ah, yeah, I love that too. I love the illustrations. 
it makes me relax. There's something about uh, it makes everything like the topics that the themes in your books, they are very important and they're very serious in a way. But because of the presentation, it, it makes it more fun and light just to look at the pictures yeah. and it, it, it makes a big difference. You so can, I love that you did that. You can sit a child down and you can tell them to do box breathing. You can tell them how to shift a perspective. But that's that's an adult talking to a child and some of it's going to get lost in translation. When you're reading a story, it allows it to come alive. And in that story, children can see themselves doing this. So instead of being instructed to do it, they're given a gift of an idea that is their own, that they could do this. You said something very beautiful now about uh, just a few seconds ago about children. They don't need that in a way. They don't need to practice emotional intelligence or, or emotional balance if they would stay the way they were born because they are already perfect as they are. But it's inevitable that um, even if we have great parents, that um, the interaction and the engagement with the world will make these tools necessary. Right, Angela? Yeah. And, and I do want to say, you know, my son was colicky when he was born and he cried, you know, at, from three months old until probably six months old. But um, it's not necessarily the fault of the parent. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and I don't yeah. want to give that idea that it's the fault of parents for bringing this veil on their children. It's all of society. It's the world that we live in. <laughs> and even, you know, some of the children born now are, are so emotionally sensitive because they are tuned in to higher realms and it's hard for them to deal with the density of what reality 3d reality here on earth and so what my books are meant to do is help these children remember who they are and that they chose, their souls chose to come here because they have a gift for the world. So I want to mention some of the sections in your book that caught my attention. Uh, I love the sections you outline a parent's promise to a child oh, and a yes. child's promise to you. <laughs> that was beautiful. It is beautiful. Uh, and you always begin and end with unconditional love. Mm -hmm. That's what I noticed too immediately. I mean, resonates just right away. You have a poem there, Faye Rules for Parenting. Ah, uh, that's, yeah, Khalil Gibran. Beautiful. beautiful. I know, I was like mesmerized by it. <laughs> <laughs> your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. That's how it begins. That stopped me. <laughs> Even that one statement just sends chills through me because when we think about it, life's longing for itself. This is 
the creation of a baby is not about us creating a mini me. It's about life longing for itself and the longing for the experience of itself. And what a challenging and amazing experience that must be. I'm not a mother, so I'm just kind of uh, contemplating your experience as a mother and all the mothers out there. Wow, it takes wisdom, doesn't it? Deep wisdom to understand this. Well, and it also takes grace. Because yes, I love that word. <laughs> I do too. And, you know, it, it's like, I didn't know these things when I was raising my children. And so, you know, I was just like every other mom doing the best I could and making mistakes. And every once in a while, some really angelic wisdom would come through me. <laughs> and so in those moments where we are connected and we're receiving that deep wisdom and other times we're not. And, you know, it, it's a, about forgiving yourself for not knowing what you didn't know. That's a beautiful starting point. <laughs> uh, yeah, in the path of healing, as we know, it's not a one that ends easily. It seems like it's, it keeps going. Oh, we yeah. are constantly healing, right? And there so, are so, so many layers, too. And, you know, for those who are very um, spiritual but not religious, then you would understand also that it's not necessarily only this life that you're undoing all this stuff. So, you know, they, they say when an individual heals, emotionally and spiritually heals, they're healing their ancestors and also their children. Yeah, you mentioned that in the book too, beautifully about separation. Teach your children to look into the eyes of others, to see their humanity, to honestly look deeply into another's eyes is to see the light of God within them. When you can connect heart to heart and the idea of separation and fear seems far-fetched. So you mentioned that here. I made that note because I love that, that you mentioned the separation concept, which is just a concept, is a feeling. Uh, we are never separated from who we really are. Yeah, yeah. And you think about, you know, the wars in the world and how they're fought because of the difference between this faction and that faction. And there is no difference. We're all the same inside. <laughs> and we're all the same beyond being human in, in our souls. And we're all connected in our souls. And it's like, wow, can't we just look at each other and see that? Seems like that's the goal of spirituality. If there is a goal, right, Angela, that'll be that one. See everything yeah. as God. Right? To to um, sink into that unity. Yeah, I love the pause in between here. <laughs> the <laughs> silence, that says a lot too. 
I have to mention again the uh, an ending poem that you have, Awakening. That's in the book. So just to uh, make a note, the book that I'm referring to is The Bella Santini in the Land of Everlasting Change. So Bella Santini in the Land of Everlasting Change. That's the last poem there, Awakening, beautifully to, uh, written, written by you. Yeah. There you say... <laughs> And what part of it that caught my attention immediately was blessing the children of any age in every corner of the world that they may awaken and feel the light of love within. Mm. So that caught my attention immediately because that's, uh, it resonates with the heart. Yeah. And that's, you know, we talked about the inner child that, that really drives a lot of behavior for people. It doesn't matter how old you are. There are angels and there are fairies raining love onto you. And they just want you to awaken to your own beingness, to your own greatness as a soul. So that's the uh, another powerful, comforting message that we all have our guides and angels, the fairies, as you speak of around us. So that it's, it feels very comforting to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so Angela, I want to thank you again for your beautiful presence in this reality, the work they, in the energy that you're giving to these insights, to these much, much needed messages. And I don't want to leave it as a message. I would love for us human beings to make them a practice, part of our day-to-day lives. So I see that intention in you. It's um, it's highly spiritual, and and that really well. What can I say? It touches my heart. That's what the reason why I do this. <laughs> I have to say, there's no other reason but just to have more human beings realizing that they are the light that gives life to what we call life. All these experiences. So we are what's behind all this. Yeah, and. The reason why my books are for children is because if we can raise a generation that doesn't turn to alcohol, drugs, or any mm. other method of yeah. numbing from feelings, yeah. can you imagine uh, next yes. generation? <laughs> oh, my goodness. How beautiful that will be to have conversations like this, right, in every corner. Yeah. <laughs> Everywhere we can go, just cross the street, meet a neighbor, and just have these conversations, deep conversations. I long for that in a way. That's why I have this, too. I couldn't find too many people to talk about this, these ideas. So thank you, Angela, for being here today. Thank you, Valeria. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. What do you love most about being in the human body, in the conditioned <laughs> mind-body, in this moment? What do you appreciate most about it? Uh, um, it's all, it comes down to the sensations and the experiences. <laughs> so yeah. the yeah. experience of unconditional love that I have with my husband, it's a beautiful thing. The sensation of tasting a delicious meal um, he, I have my husband put a swing up in my backyard. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh. 
even if it's 20 degrees outside, I'll go outside and, and let my inner child swing for a few minutes. And just that sailing through the air, that freedom, that just lovely feeling. So, yeah, it's for me, the human experience is about the feelings because souls don't get to feel like this. <laughs> so we have the high ah. and the low of the feelings that souls can't experience um, that we as humans get to and the sensations and experiences. I love the swing, though, in the backyard. That was a beautiful illustration <laughs> for the playfulness of the soul, right? I love doing that, too. When I go to parks, um, I mean, I'm not supposed to be there with, you know, children's park. <laughs> we go with my dog, and then I have to swing because it feels really great. It really does. Yes. It's, a, right? it's a beautiful sensation. When I lived in England, and I'll make this really quick because I know we're coming up on time. Um, when I lived in England, I would go hiking because COVID came and we weren't allowed to, you know, go to public places, but we could go for a walk. And so I would walk and walk and walk. And in the forests, there would be someone would put a swing, just something. Uh, <laughs> There'd be this random swing in the middle of trees. And I would every single time get on the and swing. <laughs> so bless the people in England who put the swings out there. <laughs> and that's a great idea, isn't it? It's an inspiring one. Maybe we could have swings. We can have swings everywhere in the country, in parks. That would be random ones. I love that idea, actually. Yeah. And I would love to see more adults doing that, <laughs> letting their child play. <laughs> yeah. For play. Dogs are a great example. <laughs> I know. So... I want to thank you again for your presence. And before we say goodbye for today, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, and future projects, Angela? So my website, AngelaLee.com, it's A-N-G-E-L-A-L-E-G-H.com, um, has access to the Parents Promise website. It's got access to the Bella Santini books and a little bit more about me. And I'm putting together a um, online course that will be teaching really more the concepts of the parents' promise and how to giving the parents the tools they need so that they can teach their children. Yes, beautiful. I'll have the link on your podcast profile as well. Thank you so much again, Angela. And we'll talk Thank soon. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Angela Lee and her work, please visit AngelaLee.com. more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.